Thank you for taking time to listen to this week's message from First Orlando. You can find even more content, including video archives of this and other past messages at firstorlando.com. And if you're in the Orlando area, be sure to visit us sometime soon. Now, enjoy this podcast from First Orlando. I want to tell you about one time where I was a spiritual outcast. I was a student at the University of South Florida over in Tampa, and I had been away from faith for several years and had really messed up my life in lots of ways. And then all of a sudden, through a series of circumstances, I had a dramatic encounter with God where I experienced his love for me in a way I never had before. And it really changed the trajectory of my life. Now, out of my excitement, I invited a bunch of my friends over to my apartment, and I started sharing with them about what I was learning, what I was experiencing them, inviting them into the same kind of deal. Now, you have to understand, my, my friends were some of the biggest drug dealers on the West Coast, and, uh, and our girlfriends and all of that, it was uh, quite an interesting crowd. So one day, I had the bright idea, hey, let's all go to church. And so I took them to a church that was fairly large at the time, and we went and sat on the front row. It didn't take them more than 60 seconds. They walked over and said, you need to move. I'm like, why? Because you need to move. We want you to move to the back row. I went, okay. So we moved to the back row. Now, let me give you a little bit of a clue why they would have said something like that. So here are a couple of shots of me, the way I looked at the time. Notice I had a little bit of hair going on. And I was really skinny. I would give anything for both of those. And here's another shot of me right here where I was a member of the USF uh, Skydiving Club. And so the reason why I show you that is back in that day, it was illegal to have long hair and walk into a church. It was illegal to have a short skirt and walk into a uh, church. The next week we came back again, sat on the back row, and we were asked not to ever come to that church again. I said, why? He went, because of who you are. I'm like, you don't know me. You don't know my friends. They said that you're not welcome here. Have you or any family members or friends of yours ever experienced anything like that before? Today's story of hope is about people who felt left out of spiritual community because of their appearance, because of some failure, because of their politics, because of their race, or because they didn't subscribe to the faith. So Jesus comes along and he shows us how he wants to respond to them. Last weekend, Pastor David did a fantastic job of talking about how Jesus dealt with one kind of relational outcast. Today we want to talk about how Jesus brings hope to all of us that have been spiritual outcasts and how he wants us to respond to other people in our lives. Over in Matthew chapter 9, if you have your Bibles, you can turn over there or turn them on. Over in Matthew chapter 9, Jesus teaches a couple of things I, I'm just, my attention is drawn toward. Here's the first one. Jesus teaches us that hope happens for spiritual outcasts when we look at people through his redemptive lens. Pick it up in verse 9. Jesus went out from there, saw a man named Matthew sitting in the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. Oh, this is going to get fun. 
When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciple, why does your teacher eat with people like this, these tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but it's the sick. I want you to notice that Jesus and the religious leaders were all staring at the same exact thing, but they were seeing two completely different things. It's all in the way Jesus looked at people. Later on in Luke's account of this same story in Luke 5, it says, And then Levi, or that's another name for Matthew, held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with him. We know a part of what was going on here in the first century is that Matthew was a part of this cohort of people called tax collectors. And back in that particular day, what you would do is you would collect taxes from all the people within your region and then hand those taxes over to the Roman authorities. But people were also aware that tax collectors could charge whatever they wanted to on the top of that as their commission. That's the way they got paid. So back in that day, tax collectors were like the extortionists of the day. This is why people despised them, they hated them, they looked down on them. And then Jesus turns around though, and he shows the Pharisees that he has a different view of what it means to be a sinner versus the way they see it. For the Pharisees, you're a sinner if you violated God's law according to their interpretation and they treat you accordingly. Jesus, on the other hand, he just sees a sinner as any person that hasn't yet discovered and regularly experienced the grace of God for their lives. That's why he goes on in verse 13, he says, but go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I haven't come to call the righteous but sinners. So Matt gets in touch with his own brokenness, and he feels, the, he feels how God actually sees him through the eyes of Jesus, and then he turns around and he offers that as a gift to his other friends. He wanted the same healing for them that he was experiencing. I mean, can I tell you, this is why I was so excited back in my USF days when I started trying to take my friends to church. I wanted the same thing for them that I had experienced. I was excited for them. But not everyone else shared my excitement. <laughs> the calling of Matt, the feast that followed after that, Jesus just showed his mercy. And then on top of that, he does the unthinkable. A couple of years later, he makes Matthew one of the foundational leaders of the church. Wow. So Jesus responds in verse 11 to the religious leader's question by telling them that he just looks at people different than they do. They saw people that didn't dress like them. They saw people that didn't believe like them. They saw people that didn't behave like them. And they labeled them and treated them accordingly. Jesus instead sees the same people, sees them in their brokenness, doesn't call them out or condemn them because of their brokenness, but tries to bring something brand new to them. I think one of the ways I think about looking at people through Jesus' redemptive lens is thinking about x-rays. X-rays give us insight into something we can't see. They have a redemptive effect to them. For example, many of you heard Pastor David's story about how earlier this year he had a bike accident and he got off the bike after it was all over and he kind of came to. He just, he thought, he started looking around the bumps and the bruises and a few ribs shifting around, things like that. 
And so he was trying to diagnose himself, and so were other people based upon that. But thank God, when they took him to the hospital, the doctors knew they needed to look at the situation through a different set of lens. And so they gave him the x-ray. When they ended up discovering that he had a heart issue, he had a brain issue, they didn't condemn him because he was in that condition. Because it could have been for hundreds of different reasons. But instead, they brought the compassion of God to that same thing. So let me show you several pictures of people that are just like you and me. And I want you to answer this question, what's your initial impression of them, all right? So what's your initial impression of these people that aren't wearing a mask? Or what's your impression of those that are wearing a mask? Let's try another non-controversial one. What's your impression of these people right here? Oh, versus what's your impression of people like these? I'm not trying to make a political statement. I'm just simply saying Jesus looks past the exterior every single time. That's why there's hope that you and I have even shown up today because of what he's done in and through our lives. And he wants to give it away as a gift to other people. Hang on, you may not clap after this next one. What do you think of this? What's your impression of him versus them? Do you look at people like this and go, they've just been irresponsible. They refuse to get a job. That's why they're in that condition. Or do you tend to look at people like this and label them and judge them accordingly and go, those people, they've probably cheated their way all the way to the top. They're probably not even generous with their lives. See how easy it is to do that? Here's another shot. What's your impression of this guy? You think he's got some problems? Probably. Would you tend to look at what he was saying versus, Lord, I want to see him through redemptive lens? I'll give you one more shot right here. And it's simply this group of people that come from every race, tribe, tongue, and nation. What's your impression of each one of them? A few years ago, I'd gotten acquainted with a guy by the name of Philip. And Philip had his own television show on uh, Nickelodeon. And Philip was also one of the volunteer worship leaders at our church. On his way home after leading worship one Sunday morning, he was involved in a head-on collision. It was serious. The next several weeks, he could barely move his body. He was also in a semi-coma. And then I remember one day, a few weeks in, I went to visit him. But Philip wasn't in his room. I found out they had taken him down to the therapy room. I'm thinking, what's there to do therapy with? So I walked down there, and I walked through the door, and I just stood in the corner, and I watched this therapist, this nurse. She had strapped Philip down to a gurney, then stood him all the way up where his feet were touching the ground. And she had a beach ball. And she just started gently throwing that beach ball going, Philip, I know you're there. I know you can catch this. Oh, Philip, you're going to do a good job. And she would just throw the beach ball, you know, just, he would, fingers would curl a little bit and it just bounce off from him onto the floor. And I just watched her for about 30 minutes. I'm like, wow, most people would look at the brokenness of Philip's shell right now and wouldn't be able to get past that. She instead just saw value and worth in him 
despite what his outer shell looked like. I walked up to her afterwards, introduced myself. I said, hey, you know what? I just stood in the back here and I was watching you. Can I tell you, it was amazing the way you responded, Philip. In fact, I kept thinking that you remind me of someone. I was trying to figure out who it was. And all of a sudden I realized, you remind me of Jesus. The way you were responding to him. I thought, Lord, that's who I want to be. But so often what can happen is we can look at the external behavior, external belief systems, external resources of other people, and look at them differently. If Jesus were in my place or your place, I think every person we live next to that we work with, I think Jesus would say, that person just one prayer away from being adopted into the family. There's another person, they're just one prayer away from experiencing a whole new dimension of healing that they're needing for their lives. The Pharisees looked at people through their judgmental lens, but Jesus looked at them through his redemptive lens. What lens do you tend to look at people? (laughs) A couple of weeks ago, Corona and I were driving down a thoroughfare here in Orlando, and all of a sudden someone cut me off and just went in front of me, you know, really, really close. And of course, I did the Christian thing. I gave him a Christian honk, okay? And so right away, I could feel my body tense up. And I, you know, the first thought, to be honest with you, came to my mind was, I need to pull up alongside him and give him the Christian stink eye, (laughs) right? Like God's going to get you if I don't get you first. But Corona reaches over. She puts her hand on my hand. She said, there, there. Going to be okay. That person must be in a bigger hurry than you and I. I'm like, yeah, he shouldn't have done that. She went, you know what? Maybe someone has been in an accident and he's rushing to the hospital. I'm like, okay. She said, or maybe he just got a bad diagnosis and he's just irritated and he's angry. See, she and I were looking at the same thing, but she was looking through a redemptive lens. The second thing I see out of this passage is Jesus teaches us how hope transpires for spiritual outcasts when we feel for people with his compassionate heart. Matthew chapter 9, again, Jesus overhearing shot back, say, who needs a doctor? The healthier the sick. He said, I'm after mercy, not religion. You feel a compassion in his heart. Later on at the end of that chapter in verse 35, and then Jesus made a circuit of all the towns and villages. He taught in their meeting places, reported kingdom news, and healed their diseased bodies. He healed their bruised and their hurt lives. When he looked out over the crowds, his heart broke. So confused and aimless they were like sheep without a shepherd. Do you know the number one thing that is said most about Jesus in the Gospels is that Jesus was compassionate. That's very different than what someone else stated. He was a great theologian by the name of Charlie Brown. And Charlie Brown said one time, I love mankind. It's just people I can't stand. There's a neighbor of ours just moved in the last year, year and a half, and so I've been befriending him, trying to demonstrate just the goodness of God to him, enter into friendship with him, and over time, I've really come to really like the guy. 
until last week. I was up early in the morning going through my normal morning routines before I go to work. And then all of a sudden at 6.45, I hear someone fire up their very loud lawnmower. And it's my, my, it's my neighbor. And immediately I'm like, what is he thinking? So then you go over to a window and you think maybe he'll see you and he'll go, oh, this isn't a good idea. Instead he just waves, he's okay. Then I begin to judge his IQ. At first I started with he's got an IQ of 70, then I moved it to 50, then I moved it down to 30. Then I started judging his spiritual IQ. I'm going, there's no way a Christ follower would mow their lawn at 6.45 in the morning. I was thinking like, this person's got to be far from God to be doing that. Do you notice how quickly I pivoted from having a compassionate heart to having a critical heart based upon what I could see? <laughs> if Crone had been a part of that, I imagine she would lay her hand on mine and go, sweetheart, this is probably the only time he can mow his lawn this year, right here and right now. So what's this compassion that we read about with Jesus? Here's just a simple way I think about and I process compassion. Compassion is a form of love where there is a feeling of deep sympathy and sorrow to the suffering and the vulnerability and even the ignorance of another person that's then accompanied by a strong desire to alleviate the suffering. That's Jesus that's what he's inviting me and you to feel for people that are different from us. And we think they got some major problems unlike ourselves. Matthew 15, Jesus calls his disciples, says, I have compassion for these people. They have nothing to eat. Over in Luke 15, very familiar prodigal story. And then the rebellious son got up and went to his father. While he was still a long way off, his father runs toward him because he's filled with compassion for him. His son had not repented. His son hasn't said, I'm wrong. His son hasn't owned his brokenness yet. And it says his dad was filled with compassion for him. 2 Corinthians 1, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion. Ephesians chapter 4 says, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. See, God wants me to be able to look into the brokenness of other people that he's intersected my life with and not only look at them through redemptive lens, but to feel for them with a compassionate heart. I'm embarrassed to say it's taken me the better part of my life to consistently grow in pivoting from having a critical heart to having a compassionate heart. Sometimes we walk around people, they're irritating us, they're bothering us because of how they're voting or their political system or their race or their whatever it might be. Can I tell you, everyone Jesus ever lays eyes on, here's how he feels. There's one I'm crazy about. There's one I'm crazy about. There's another one I'm crazy about. It's just the way Jesus looks and feels and responds. So will you do that? Will you do that when people don't vote like you? Will you do that when people don't believe like you? 
Will you do that when people don't watch the same news channel as you? Will you do that when people don't deal with the virus in the way that you do? Pharisees felt for people with a critical heart. Jesus, in contrast to them, feels this compassion. How do you feel for people? So let me wrap it up with one other thing I see here in this passage. Jesus teaches us that there's hope for spiritual outcasts when we respond to people with his unconditional friendship. Again, back at verse 9, Jesus saw Matthew in his tax collector's booth and invited him to follow him. What was Jesus responding with? He was responding with relationship. He wanted to be in relationship, and again, Matthew had not changed his ways at all. Jesus saw him for what he was, but then Jesus saw and he felt something else, and he was responding with that. Did you know Jesus never dealt with people from this stance? Don't stay as you are. Jesus always began with the stance of, come as you are. Come as you are, and over time, I will change your heart, and I will change your life in every dimension. Yep. I mean, later, it's like Jesus gives a repeat performance. This time, it's with Zacchaeus. Zac was a tax collector just like Jesus. And Jesus says, hey, Zac, I want to go home and have a meal with you and with your friends. Zach hasn't made reparations for the people that he's harmed, that he's cheated over the years. Jesus just, he responds to him with friendship. It's unbelievable. It's who I want to be. Treats him like a friend. A while back, I was heading toward a meeting back down our, uh, my office one evening and had a couple of meetings, some people were waiting on me. I pull up, it's dark, I pull up to a stoplight, and within about a minute or so, bam, someone runs into the back of my car. I'm like, I'm going to do God's work and this happens to me? It's just not right. So I get out, there's a girl in her early 20s, her name was April. She said, I'm so very sorry. I went, that's all right, let me call the police so the police can get you, okay? So I call the police. 30 minutes later, police still haven't shown up. Well, I know there are people waiting for me, and so I went, hey, why don't you just give me your driver's license number, your car insurance, all of that, and then I'll find out how much it's going to cost, and I'll send you an invoice. She said, great, would, that would be terrific. I will, I will pay it right away. Well, a couple of weeks later, a couple of thousand dollars worth of damage, I send her the invoice. Several weeks went by, didn't hear a word from her. Then I sent her another invoice, no response. And then I made the mistake, and you need to be careful about this as well, then I made the mistake of getting alone in the presence of God. <laughs> I just got through reading the scripture and praying, and then I did what I often do. I just extended my hands. I said, God, is there anything else you'd like to say to me today? I don't know about you, but I have found over the years that often God speaks to me uh, by putting images or pictures or scriptures up on the screen of my interior. The Bible says we're all equipped with that same thing. So I'm sitting here 
trying to mind my own business, making the mistake of saying, God, anything else you want to say to me today, and God gives me a picture of that invoice I sent her. And then across the middle of it was in red, paid in full. I'm like, no, that's a bad idea, God. That's a bad idea. She won't learn her lesson. She'll probably run into another 10 people this month if you don't teach her a lesson. And then I started thinking, and then again, the impression came, and I'm like, God, it's not your money, it's my money. No wonder you recommend my doing this. And I remember having this impression of God going, David, do you want to be more like me? To which my response was, well, kinda. <laughs> well, the invoice ended up being paid in full. Because God wanted to do something, not only in my heart, but in my response. I'm telling you, Jesus values relationships over rules. Every single time. Jesus comes along to a religious system that was all about the rules, whether you follow them or not. And Jesus turns around and he goes, listen, there's actually something that moves beyond and transcends rules and its relationships. So let me see if I can't summarize Matthew 9. But before I do, can I just tell you, I currently have several very difficult people in my life. Through some things they've believed, some ways they're behaving, the way they've cut themselves off from a group of us. And this morning as I'm teaching this, I got a mirror in front of me. I'm like, Lord, I want to see them through your lens. I want to feel for them the way you do. And I want to respond at all times in the same way that you would with us. So, Jesus connects with Matthew. And then Matthew comes up with this idea. Hey, my, the riffraff friends of mine, they're, they're headed toward a Christless eternity. They don't have any hope. I have found hope. It's not right that I would hoard this. I must share a part of what God's done in me. And by the way, Matthew, he still wasn't far from perfect, okay? But it was that response. He's like, I got to do something. And then Matthew all of a sudden realizes there's one thing he's really good at. He's good at throwing a party. So the scripture says he calls together all of his friends and he asks Jesus, Jesus, hey, here's an idea I had, how you feel about it. Jesus was like, go for it. Go for it, Matt. I can imagine that evening. Again, we don't see this in scripture, but I can just easily imagine it because of the text and the context of it all. Matthew just kind of being in the back corner at some point in the evening, watching how Jesus was dealing with all of his friends and noticing that Jesus treated his friends just like they were his friends. I can imagine later on in the evening, maybe one or two in the morning, people have started going home. Jesus does a little game film review with them. He goes, Matthew, I loved your heart. I loved the guts and the courage and the initiative it took. Matthew, you just threw a Christian cocktail party. Unbelievable. Look what God has done. 
and is going to continue to do. This is why I think the final words of Jesus when he's going back to his heavenly father, he says, go into your schools, into your neighborhoods, into your inner cities, and take the risk and declare and demonstrate the good news. The Pharisees responded to people by rejecting relationship with them. Jesus instead responds to people through his unconditional friendship. Which way do you respond to people? Thanks again for listening to the First Orlando Podcast. For more information like our service times, location, and other contact information, be sure to visit us online at firstorlando.com. Have a great week.